0: Welcome to Western Reaches, a Toshi Station podcast. This is episode 35 and I'm one of your hosts, Saf. With me, as always, is Megan. Greetings. We are a podcast that talks about games, books, and other nerdy or creative stuff that we feel like talking about. Um, It's been like a month since we last recorded i think it's a new year now which is very exciting and we're doing something a little different this episode instead of like having a book or a game or something that we pick as our main topic at the end of the episode we're going to be talking a bit about building player characters with and without personality within games because it's cool and that way we can talk about a lot of other games while we go through that um before we get into it properly i want to give a shout out to checkpoint uh, the organization that's doing work with mental health and video games and the cross section between the two they just released their trailer for their new series which is which features uh, like interviews and other information about uh industry professionals within the games industry like uh oh, what's the word i want like people big people within the industry talking about mental health and stuff like that uh so check out their trailer at their website checkpoint.org.au we had uh dr jennifer hazel on ages ago, like one of our first few episodes talk about this, ages ago, so I thought I might as well give that a shout out now. Um, (laughs) I'm really glad to be able to catch up with what she's been doing, the trailer looked
1: really good, it had some uh, really interesting testimonials from people, so I'm glad to be able to support that a little bit.
0: Yeah, the Kickstarter went really well, which was really good to see. Um, So first of all, we're going to talk a bit about the games we're playing at the moment, because... That's first on the notes. Um, (laughs) Megan, I'm really curious about this because I'm wanting to play Planescape Torment for ages, but I keep forgetting about it. How is that going for you?
1: Um, So it's going well. Um, I was given Planescape Torment at New Year's and was told by many people, both The person who gifted it to me and many friends before that I should definitely play it if I was interested in game writing. Part of what's so appealing about it in terms of writing is just that it's enormous. There are, the dialogue trees are incredible and there are so many side quests and things to do. The aesthetic is. Very dark, Um, as the name might suggest. (laughs) You play as a a character called the Nameless One who wakes up in a morgue and it just gets gorier and gorier from there, all in um, the sort of 1999 graphics. So I, I do really like the writing. The uh, We're going to talk a little bit more about the nameless one later in this episode. That's part of why I wanted to talk about character creation, because one of the tricks of this game is that your character um, has lost his memory. So you know something has happened. You know that he had a, a lover or girlfriend or something in the past, Um but you can set him to be kind of whatever you want in his appearance and his gender are set and they are like connected to the story. So you can't really change them and you couldn't really change them without changing the whole story. The uh, one of the things I liked about it is that there's an option. There's options to talk about really pretty deep stuff right away. There's a character who... Um, wants to die, but in this world that doesn't necessarily mean what it does to us. It's a whole religious cult thing where he thinks the right thing to do is to like ascend to another plane and you have to talk about, like, why is that cult important to you? Like, is that a good choice for you? Or why, would, why is it worth it to live? And that's like the second area you get into. You can have this conversation about what's the purpose of living and is it worth time to live. So it's, uh, it's heavy. Um, I'm right now I've been through like the first and second cities, the first and second areas, I guess. And I just got my second companion and sort of stopped because I, so the first companion or the second companion that I picked up is, a. Uh, I think she's a tiefling. She's got a tail, um, a, like a thief woman. And she's, how do I describe her? <laughs> she's very acerbic, like, immediately, kind of when you first see her, it's like, what are you looking at? And you have that option to ask, like, why do you have a tail? And it's that great, like, shepherd. You can't just ask people why they're green thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> but then as soon as you get her um in her in your party she very quickly becomes that like angry sexy girl and sort of like you can basically make out with her in the first conversation and I was just sort of laughing because it was so like it was too over the top for me to be offended even it was (laughs) just like this is ridiculous so I have to kind of like (laughs) <laughs> Make sure I can handle that without laughing at it. Um, which is like, I'm sure that potentially comes off as very shallow because this is its a game the size of War and Peace was basically how it was pitched to me. But you have to like the companions in order to get through the game. And I was so thrown by just how cheesy this character is that... I I want to explore more. I want to kind of get to know her more because I'm sure there's more. But it, it was I kind of couldn't get past it. Um, please don't at me saying that she gets better later. I she probably <laughs> does.
0: So that's uh that's about that experience. I mean, to be fair, I stopped playing Witcher one just because like in the first two minutes, these ridiculous boob physics of one of the main characters, and I was like, I can't. I literally can't handle these jiggle physics. I just quit the game. I haven't touched it since. So I can't judge you there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, uh, I appreciate that. It's, and yeah, I, I we will talk later more about how uh, the Nameless One is built. Um, especially having done a little bit of Twine. Like, there was so much work put into this game. <laughs> it It's so detailed. I, I'm going to play
0: more. <laughs> I just, I'm a little bit... Throne right now, so... Yeah, yep. I've heard... I saw a talk by um, Liam Esler at, I think, NCGDC 2016 um, that was about Planescape Torment and the way it subverts tropes in RPGs, and since seeing that talk, I've really just wanted to play it to see how it does do RPGs in its own way. Like, apparently there's an asexual succubus or something in it at some point, but um, it looks like a cool game <laughs> but yeah that oh, that's, that's thing sounds interesting um,
1: it, you can also very much see um, the kind of new weird influence on it there's hmm. a point where you you're in a like a grave city essentially and you need to write the name of a dead city on a gravestone because there have been people going around the world crying the name of a dead city and your character is basically like you, you don't have to do that i can just make it a headstone <laughs> <laughs> and there's there's another quest where you have to help a tree grow because it's a depressing place and no trees are growing and this one person is like i i like feel a connection to the trees there are some really great great side
0: quests I think I'm going to have to. Now that I have a new laptop that can actually play games, I might actually have to get that after I go to Australia because it's been on my list for ages, like I said. But yeah, I literally keep forgetting it exists until somebody brings it up. But the more you talk about it, the more I'm like, I want to check this out.
1: I'm definitely going to play more of it, so I'll keep you updated. Awesome. Awesome. The other thing that I've been playing is completely different, is (laughs) Tiny Bird Garden, which is a very cute mobile game, and I've been watching, um, one of the devs is on Twitter, um, I think she's probably an artist for it, um, and I've been, like, seeing her stuff, so I finally picked that up, and it's basically Niko Atsume, but for birds, you Up birds and they come and visit and it's very cute and very calm. And the thing that like differentiates it from Nico Atsume is that the birds are apparently sentient, so like they will give you Yelp reviews, basically. (laughs) Like, like they'll say this was a great garden, and the different ones have different personalities. So there's like the bird that likes to play video games, and like the bird that really like loves her friends, and there's the <laughs> bird that's kind of withdrawn and quiet, like, they all have personalities, so, it's it's nice, you know, <laughs> nothing really deep to say about it, um, but it's
0: pleasant. That sounds lovely. I love little games like that. I, on the other hand, have been, um, binging my shooters because I'm in a shooter mood, I guess. Um, I've yeah, we've lo- got a lot of Halo this episode. <laughs> yeah, I seem to be on a Halo thing at the moment, which I didn't entirely realize until I started listing everything I've been doing lately, and it's basically all <laughs> Halo. Um- <laughs> I-, I love... I just like look down the list of books and it's just like, all Halo. <laughs> yep. But
1: that's-, that's great. That's... I think both of us, that's always constantly happening in some corner of our brain. Yeah. So now it's just becoming more obvious. Yeah,
0: pretty much. I kind of hit a point with um books where i read enough bad books that were just like sci-fi that i don't even know why i got them out or like who recommended them to me they were just bad um that i ended up was i, I was just like i'm just gonna go back to halo because i know i like halo like even if the books are bad at least it's still halo and so i can appreciate that much of it um but yeah with games i not halo games i've finished the main campaign of destiny 2 um and i've pretty much done everything that i can possibly do up to the point where i need to get the dlc now to actually do things and get a stronger character and be cooler um but yeah i really like the final few <laughs> missions of the campaign because they're really fun
1: yes i'm so glad you're into destiny <laughs> isn't so that um, it. um... The mission with the Almighty is so it's good. so
0: good. Like, I wasn't really enjoying the main campaign of the game, really, because, like, it's kind of nothing exciting, but the, like, the bit with the Almighty when you're destroying it is just so much fun and it's so good that I was like, yeah, I'm finally into the story. Right at the yep, end. <laughs> this,
1: is, this is finally, like, what Bungie is really good at, yeah, too, exactly. right? Yeah, exactly. a sense of momentum. It's
0: so perfectly but... Bungie. Like, it is... When I was playing it, I was like, this feels like the best kind of, like, original Halo stuff that I loved. Um, And, yeah, so now my character's really strong, and so I've just been playing, like, Crucible. I got, I finally worked up the courage to play Crucible on my own. um, And so I've just done that. Excellent. Which is really fun, except you can tell, because I play Destiny at night, generally, and so you can tell when I'm getting more and more tired, because I'll go from being, like, top of my team to just the bottom of the entire game.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's uh, we should definitely play together yes. at some point because you can you can carry me, but also because that just would be fun. <laughs> I feel like I you'll actually... probably
0: end up carrying me sometimes
1: because you probably dude. I'm so bad, <laughs> so bad at
0: crucible,
1: so bad. I I recently also jumped in um, by myself for the first time, which was good. I'm glad I made that progress emotionally.
0: <laughs> yeah, I basically did it because. I'd done all the other milestones that I could, and the only one I had left was like crucible and also the nightfall strike, which was hellish. I tried to do that, and it's just nobody stays in the game, they all ditch out, which just means you're alone, you can't finish the damn strike um, but yeah, the last thing I had was crucible, and I was like, I might as well just do it to get the f- milestone rewards um so I just went out there and did it, and I didn't entirely suck, though I did make the mistake of the first uh competitive multiplayer game I played. When you have to like, your team only has a certain amount of lives, and if you lose them all, you lose. Um, first thing I did was run backwards off a cliff and die. <laughs> Straight away, as soon as the game started, and I was like, "Yep, off to a good start here."
1: Amazing. <laughs> now you gotta um, have friends for who are gonna play with you for Nightfall. Yeah. Not like, not like Saf. you don't have friends. I, <laughs> I realize I need decent <laughs> friends. Yeah. Um, I realized how
0: that came <laughs> off.
1: But yeah, you got, you have to, uh, coordinate with Nightfall most of the time, so I don't blame you for not doing that yet.
0: Yeah, I got, because I was playing with, um, one of my friends, and we got, we were, like, ten seconds off finishing it. Um, we were so close, but by the time, that was, like, our third try doing it, oh, and by that point, I we were know. just like, nah, no, nah, we can't be bothered doing this again. Yeah. It's the worst. But yeah, I've been having fun with I that.
1: haven't, uh... I haven't actually played Destiny 2 in a while. Basically, when I was away over the holidays and then kind of, like, just didn't go back to it. Except for, like, I played, like, the first day of the dawning or something. And I just haven't gone back for no particular reason. I do, I want to. um, I think part of my... Sort of disappointment was that I wanted, like, I love the flavor text, right? I mm. love the lore, and a lot of the flavor text for The Dawning was kind of, like, the the humor didn't work for me, and therefore there wasn't much there. I, I wanted more, like, emotional stories, like, here, I'm gonna give, like, Ikora something that means a lot to her, but instead they were all sort of funny and i just I, I feel like i'm coming off as very like this has to be a serious <laughs> video game when i say that yeah <laughs> but it just the writing didn't really work for me so i'll i'll wait for the next thing i might be back for faction
0: rally i don't even know what faction rally is i honestly don't know i'm i'm constantly surprised by when i log in they're like this event is happening and i'm like what is this thing uh like the the dawning in general i do i logged in one day and i was like oh my god there's snow everywhere and everything's jingly i love it uh and (laughs) i didn't entirely understand what was happening i didn't realize that there was like the dawning side quest that you could do until uh a few days into the thing when i was like playing it a bunch and i walked over to icora because i don't tend to go i used to not go to the traveler that much because i didn't realize that you could like get stuff from people if you were doing things around the galaxy. Um, and then I eventually found the big pile of gifts and I was like, this is so exciting! Um, and I liked the side quests you got from that because I generally play Destiny in a way that I just run around worlds and just shoot stuff and get things. Um, I don't entirely put much effort into it, I just brainless run around and shoot things. So it was fun because it made me actually go out of my way to track down certain enemies and do certain things and learn how to find certain stuff because I didn't actually know. Um, But yeah, I agree the flavor text wasn't like great. Like it was just goofy, um, which is fine for some of the characters. Like Cade, I'm like, goofy is fine. But yeah, when it comes to like Ikora or Zavala, I kind of want something a bit more serious. Like a bit less like. Zavala was basically just like, uh, thanks, I guess, for whatever you give him, which I can't remember what it was. And I was like, no, I want him to think I'm cool. Like, I want him to like me. But,
1: yeah. yeah, they did good work in the, the Fall of Osiris comic. I think that's a good place where they're putting out some very serious lore right now. Oh,
0: cool. Did you read that? No, I haven't read that yet.
1: It's good, and it's free. It's on... Uh, oh, sweet. Is it comics.bungie.com? It might be. Um, It's, like, on a Bungie-adjacent website, so I definitely recommend that. Oh, so, sweet. like, I haven't had... I don't want to sound like I'm like, the writing as a whole is bad. Like, it's just that particular type, that particular event wasn't really for me. But I definitely look forward to going back to the, like you said, uh, Destiny's good for just going out and shooting things. I don't necessarily even, there's a lot of discussion right now about the reward system. I don't even necessarily feel like I need to be rewarded. I'm sort of there just for the, like clean up instinct thing (laughs) and
0: maybe talking to my friends yeah pretty much i yeah i like finding all like the stuff like the region uh chests and all that stuff it's really fun it's just it's kind of brainless fun that's just easy to play um i really liked the dawning for the shaders that came out with it because the shaders that came with it were just really cool um And I admit, I actually spent real money on a ghost shell because it was really cute. And I was like, I really want this ghost shell. So I I actually spent like $7 on this ghost, which I may have been like three gins in when I did that. And I woke up the next day and I was like, hmm, I wonder where I could have spent this money to the Microsoft store. Uh, I guess there's worse things to buy. Yeah, I had been eyeing it after a night like that. A week, and I didn't want it because I knew that once the dawning was over it would just disappear from the store so i didn't want to like miss out on it but also getting bright dust is really hard because if you don't pay real money you have to just like destroy all your ships and speeders and i don't want to do that because they look cool
1: yeah and it's the it's random right so you would to buy multiple boxes in order to get the loot yeah like, the ghost i was shell that you really wanted. lucky
0: that it was i bought the first box and it just happened to be in that box oh wow like, i was trying to save up enough money because yeah. it was in the little store but we can actually buy it straight up but that was quite expensive, so the first box I bought ended up having that in it. And I was like, I have all this other money now that I don't <laughs> I don't know what to do with it. So I think I just bought shaders, because I like the shaders.
1: I almost feel like that's how the system is supposed to work. You're supposed to be able to get the thing you want, and then maybe if you have some left over, you can buy a random item or something. Yeah. But I, I don't ever pay money for anything in Eververse, I've never done it I, if anything related to Eris ever comes out, I will pay $15 for it, like whatever, Yeah. but until then, I have never had any desire to buy anything specifically, but I know that I would rather pay for exactly the thing that I want rather than getting it dropped randomly, because yeah. not everybody's going to be lucky, you know? Yeah,
0: exactly Like I wouldn't have paid that money for that ghost if I didn't know I could just buy it straight up Um, I just happened to be lucky that like, cause you pay for silver and then you have to buy a box to get bright dust, I think. And so when I bought the box for the bright dust that came with like other stuff in it, it's like the, the introduction of box or whatever, it happened to have that ghost shell in it. So I ended up with just extra bright dust and then also the ghost shell. And I was like, sweet, this is exactly what I wanted and even better. (laughs) Um, so yeah, it was. It's, I really appreciate that you can just straight up buy the thing you want, but I also like that you can also happen to get the thing you want and then have extra money. Like I think this is a good way to do paid loot boxes. I think because it's not entirely a loot box. Like you know you'll be able to get the thing you want if you want to.
1: Yeah, yeah. and they have said they're gonna adjust that system a little bit, adjust how often. I believe it's how often Bright Ingram's. Drop, but also a little bit about how Eververse works. Okay. In total, so even though it like won't affect me, so I feel sort of weird like covering <laughs> it. Yeah. Because, but it'll be interesting to see how uh, how that goes and how the player response is because it's been rocky. It's been a little rocky so far. Yeah,
0: I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I um last night for some reason I think. I may have been reading a Halo book or something. Maybe not. I don't know what I was doing, but at some point I was just like, you know what? I kind of just want to play Halo 5 by myself and just give myself time to think about it because when I actually played Guardian 2, it was with someone else, so we were swapping. <laughs> we made the mistake of assuming that Locke and Master Chief would have equal screen time and play time, and so they were playing Locke and I was playing Chief, and turns out Chief has almost no play time in that game, so I didn't actually get to play the game that much in the end. Um... And also because I was playing with someone else, we were talking over it a lot and discussing it, and I didn't really have time to really just sit down and just dig my teeth into the game properly in the way that I usually do with Halo games. And so last night I just got the urge to just play Halo 5 and actually play it properly and maybe, maybe change my opinion on the game. I don't know. Uh, so I started that last night. So I'm on mission 5 or 6 now, I think. Um, and I kind of like it more than I did before, but some of my same issues are still with it. Like, I really don't like Locke as a character. He's so boring. They don't build him up as anything interesting. He's just like the typical gruff military dude who has no personality and like doesn't care about anything except for the job, and I know that his character doesn't really change that much through the game because I've played the game before. And um, I remember even in Halo Nightfall, he was still just a boring character in that. Like, I liked the Spartan too because I like Spartan 2s, but also because he was a more interesting character. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, he's a big, he's he a big so cool good. Dude. But yeah, he's such a good character. And I wish he had been like, or well, like, I really wish um, Olympia Vale had been the lead of Fireteam Osiris because she's got the whole uh, Covenant thing going with her. Like, she really likes the Covenant. She's interested in that. And, like, she worked with the Sang Haley and the Arbiter's pals. So she's pals with them. And it would make more sense in this game, I think, for her to be the lead. But she's kind of just relegated to the side and doesn't do anything. Um... Whenever she jumps on my warthog as my gunner, I get very excited because I love her. And (laughs) I also have problems with the way that just the gameplay works. Like, it doesn't feel like Halo. It's, It's weird playing it because you know it's Halo. And, like, the guns are Halo and the characters are Halo, but it doesn't feel like Halo. And it throws me every time that the guns all feel totally different. Like, all of them, from every previous game, they feel totally strange and new. Even the old ones. Like, magnums are useless and I'm so mad about it. And, um... I'm also just mad that like Chief doesn't yeah. get much time in the game, um, and just I don't know. It's I feel like I will like it more playing it through this time. I am already enjoying it more. It probably helps that I've read a whole bunch of books around it, so I know more about the characters. But it's not a bad game. It's just a weird game.
1: I think Halo Five tried to be an extended chase scene. Yeah, and because of that. It has basically one major plot point, which is the reveal of Cortana and the Guardians. It doesn't have a lot of plot when it comes to the Spartans, even though there are eight of them in the (laughs) story. Yeah,
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. So... And I just
1: thought about it now, but as we go more into the books, and we see so many Halo books that stop at the moment the Guardians arise, I think Legacy of Onyx went a little further, but mostly the canon kind of stops at the end of Halo 5 still, unless I'm missing something. Yeah, I think so. so. And that also has, that has also highlighted this fact that like, the, Spart- the core Spartans haven't, as you said, have not changed very much. Mm-hmm. Osiris does not change very much. Chief has not changed very much, except presumably with that like quasi-cliffhanger ending, <laughs> he he will have many things to deal with going forward, yeah. but in this actual game, he doesn't change very much.
0: Yeah. it It's weird, because it doesn't have much plot, and it's not a hugely complex story, but they cram it into to be so cinematic and there's so many cutscenes and so much stuff like so much time where you're not actually like playing the game like a halo game um you're just kind of running through like the whole meridian thing we've got to run through meridian and find info and talk to people it's like very rpg mass effect kind of style it's not it doesn't feel like a first-person shooter kind of thing um and i appreciate that they're trying different things it just feels not halo it feels like a different game um I do, I do really like that it has a lot of AI stuff in it. Like, I love when Lasky and Roland, no, no, Lasky and Sarah Palmer and whoever else are talking about, and Halsey, I think, are talking about Cortana being the one that's causing the Guardians to rise. And Roland's there in the background, like Cortana's alive. What? Hey, talk to me. Hey, what's happening? Um, and then he like just starts yelling at them, and he's like, yeah. "Why do you think she's an enemy? Just because she didn't die when she was supposed to?" And I'm like, "Yeah, buddy, call them out on their shit." Um, I love. And also the whole stuff with Sloan, I love Sloan so much, so I do really love this game for all the AI stuff it does, but I just don't enjoy playing it as much as I enjoy playing the other games. And I also hate how both the story and the gameplay are both balanced for having a four-player team. Like Olympia Vale, if you play her in multiplayer and you actually play her as your player character, she has her automatic... like her weapons default weapons are covenant weapons because that's who she is as a character but you don't really know that unless you ever get a chance to play her which you don't unless you're playing in a four player team um and it's kind of like little things like that that kind of frustrate me because they're not this game isn't built for you if you are a single player just trying to play through the campaign the game doesn't care about you at all the battles aren't balanced for it and nothing is and i hate it so much it makes me so mad because i don't want to play it with other people i just want to play it by myself
1: yeah, it tried to do a lot, and I liked the the Mass Effect sequences. I thought they were cool. Mostly, I thought they were cool because they were novel. Yeah, they were something we hadn't seen in Halo before. The, Halo Five definitely did not feel polished. It it felt it had that sort of complexity that you get from being the second to last draft, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm really curious what six is going to be like. Like I definitely have I'm so glad that I've I'm less sour on Halo 5 now because I really I really used to not like it and now I'm a bit more like it's not so bad. Like some of the characters are cool kind of thing. Uh and I'm happy about that because I didn't want to hate a Halo game. But like Halo 6 will still very much decide how I feel about Halo 5 in the end because depending on where they take Cortana and the forerunner plot will reflect back on how I look at Halo 5 so I'm still like it's still kind of in limbo until I can play the next game interesting and that I think does speak
1: to the fact that it feels like it's part of an arc yeah but it's it's too long to be just one part of an arc and feel incomplete at the
0: same time yeah especially because like it
1: came out in all
0: the yeah. it came out in what 2016. 2015, really 15? Yeah, wow, geez, that game is yeah. old. We haven't even heard about sex at all. <laughs> it's old. No, that's
1: that's why. I mean, they're all like their marketing and stuff is all very like Halo Wars 2 focused. Still, I think. Yeah. But yeah, everybody every once in a while,
0: I'm looking at them going, "What? When are we gonna get something else? Yeah, maybe we'll get an announcement this year. I really want the next game because I feel like they will build on what worked in this and hopefully not build on what didn't work um <laughs> but we'll see you bringing up roland reminds me that that's one of
1: the big questions i have is how is roland gonna fall in this war yeah. because he had that moment where he kind of like looks like he thinks cortana's right but he's obviously very close with lasky and like i'm really curious about where
0: He's gonna go. I'm really worried about Cortana. Like, I'm so worried about her because I don't want her to be like. I don't want. It would be so perfectly emotional for like from their point of view. Probably if they made you like your final battles against Cortana or something, they're like, "Wow, this would be really great for the player character to have this strong emotion." But I'm like, story wise, I would hate that so much. Like, I would literally drop the game if I had to fight Cortana. Like, I would just put it down and be like, "Nah, I'm out of here." so I'm I'm hoping they don't do something like that. Uh but I'm I don't know. Who knows? It's it's a mystery for now. She's got that armor now.
1: So <laughs> can you imagine a game where you played where it was parallel, like Halo Five, where you played as Chief at one point and Cortana at the other <gasps> point, and she oh went God. through her own arc. because like, I that be want amazing. Her- I, I want her to have her moment of, like... Because I love villains. Like, I love a good, like, evil laugh. Like, I kind of <laughs> like that she's having her evil laugh moment. Yeah. But at the same time, I ultimately don't want her to be a bad guy. Like, I want her to be... I want her and Chief to be friends, right? Yeah. So I'd love to see her go through her own arc where she kind of realizes that what she's
0: doing is wrong. And they become allies again that way. Do, would you... Agree with that? Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. I think a game that swap between Cortana and Chief would just be the best thing ever. (laughs) It would make me so happy. (sighs) That moment where you see her and she's got the armor on, I was just like, yes,
1: she doesn't need a Spartan anymore. She's just her own Spartan
0: now. (laughs) Oh my god. And when she turns away from Chief and she looks really, like, she has that moment where she, like, kind of tears up, she looks so much like Halsey, and I'm like, yes, oh my god. There's so many good moments in Halo 5 that I genuinely love, so I am keen to play through more of it
1: Yeah, and there's a lot there and I I certainly don't want her to be I don't want her to be killed off basically I don't want them to use her villainy as an excuse to just be like you're gonna be
0: sad because she's dead they already killed her in full like it's stupid to kill her again I mean killed her with quote marks but they still they still did that they did (laughs) that scene so it's like you've done that do something new now
1: yeah (laughs) And this is a way, well, we could talk about this forever. I'm sure yeah. this is a way for her to potentially exp- extend her lifespan and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. 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 Like you said, we can't talk about this forever. So um, <laughs> let's talk about books. And we will when we get any Halo 6 news at oh, all. Oh, <laughs> we will. We will. <laughs> but yes, let's talk about books. Um, Megan, what have you been reading recently?
1: Right, so my journey through the Vorkosigan saga continues. I've picked up *The Mountains of Morning*, which is a novella, and it's not. It was written in like, or published rather, in 2014, I think. At least the edition I had. Uh, as I say that now, I realize I might be wrong because <laughs> the Vorkosigan saga is like there were several anthologies or collections, and then there were like um. 12 novels. It's a little confusing. But uh, this one was a novella that was like chronologically around where I am in the series. (laughs) And uh, I heard it was good. And it was good. It was... uh, Her writing is just fantastic. The way she handles human emotion. Basically, Miles, the main character, reads people a lot better than I do. So I'm always astonished at like that, yeah, you were right about that. We're like, I socially would probably not be right about those things, but that's kind of like what Miles does. <laughs> so I really enjoyed how, uh, Bujold, Luis Bujold, put the story together. It was a mystery story, and you kind of, saw who all the main suspects were and it was very clear what was going on and it was one of those mysteries where you can kind of piece it together as you go so like I was gratified to learn that the person that I thought was the the person that I thought did it I was right about that so that was nice and um the writing is just very insightful Miles is such an entertaining character I was just laughing at some of it uh yeah very good that sounds good Yep. Um, I oh mean, I want to talk about the anthology last because okay. <laughs> the anthology needs, it deserves its own segment. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, uh, so another novella I read was The Drowning Eyes, which I picked up randomly at the Strand. It just had a cool cover and I read them back. And I was like, this sounds good, but I was taking a chance on actually purchasing it. And I'm glad that I did. It's a fantasy with pirates and people who can control the weather. And one of the things that I thought was most interesting about this was that the sort of argument the characters have among themselves is whether or not people with these elemental powers should be kept to monasteries and taught how not to use their powers and how not to put anyone in danger because they can like create hurricanes and stuff and should they be kept away or should they be free to do whatever they want and the way their power is restricted is their eyes are removed like they go through this quite unpleasant surgery so it's a question of should that should they have to do that or not and I was very interested to find that the book kind of came down on the side of yes we should restrict their powers it's okay for people to choose and it is a choice it's not like the the woman was kidnapped or anything she chose to go into this monastic order um she should be able to choose to remove herself from the world, basically, which I thought was really interesting. And that's, I guess I sort of spoiled that bit. I'm sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's, It's also a good, like, adventure story, but that sounded to me a lot like the kind of discussions that people often have about the Jedi. Like, should the Jedi Council keep the Jedi from doing harm? Should the Jedi take children when they're young? Like, it very much was like, part and parcel with that conversation to me
0: mm, yeah as you were talking about it i was thinking about the jedi <laughs> yep yep interesting i do sure. like stuff that like uh talks about or discusses characters with strong powers and doesn't entirely go like yes they should do whatever they want because they are still dangerous characters in the world um so that sounds cool i'm glad you took a chance on that
1: I am too. It was definitely good. And I'm sure, uh, I think it Tor might have published it first. I'm sure it's pretty easy to access digitally as well if you don't want to find it serendipitously at a random bookstore. <laughs> so I've continued to read the Lena Crone collection. Um, the one that I recently finished was called T- Tynaron Mail from Another City. Also, I guess also a novella. It's about a city inhabited by anthropomorphic bugs and a tourist writing letters to her friend uh possibly lover i'm not sure um i don't remember (laughs) (laughs) it's like an important distinction now i don't remember um person she's writing letters to describing the city and it's, uh, it's weird, capital W. It's very, um, <laughs> the way she describes biological things is extremely poetic and sometimes very disgusting. <clears throat> the Lena Crohn novel that I'm reading right now is not Tynoron, it's the next one. But uh, she talks about mushrooms growing all over something, and it was sort of like, ah, oh, this is gross. So very effective physical description, very atmospheric, uh, very weird.
0: I always respect authors that can actually write gross stuff that's genuinely gross if that makes sense <laughs> yeah yeah
1: it's a she writes and um, the, the collection I'm reading is translated so some of it is on the, the translator is very good as well I think but the atmosphere is this mix of like beautiful and gross at
0: the same time and I very much like that mm, that's always good stuff especially when it's yeah the capital W weird. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, when you can pull off that grossness, right, it's always just really good.
1: Yeah, and I have, I have no basis for this, but as soon as I heard about the bug people, I was like, is this where China Mabel got it? <laughs> is this where his
0: bug thing started? <laughs> oh, that's right, he did have a bug thing. I mean, I've only read yeah. one of his books, but I do remember <laughs> that, and it freaked me out.
1: <laughs> yep. <laughs> And then, uh, then there was the journey I went on (laughs) earlier this month (laughs) with an anthology called Press Start to Play, which has an introduction by our good friend, Ernest (laughs) (laughs) Cline. He's not our our good friend. No, he is Um, not. No, all respect, but not my, not my thing. Um... (laughs) So I picked it up because it was an anthology about video games. It was obviously, even by the title, you can tell it was trying to get the Ready Player One crowd. And it had a Yoon Ha Lee story in it, and it had a um Catherine Valenti story in it. So I was like, I have to get this just purely out of, like, curiosity. Yeah. <laughs> like, what is this going <laughs> to be like? And it, it was the gift that kept on giving from <laughs> some truly um uh poorly done work to yun Hali's story, which was a second person it's not it's not a fanfic, because Yoon Hali wrote it, but it felt like a fanfic. <laughs> a second person story where you are guided through a simulated battle by Shuoshidao Shidao himself, which I was just like dying over this story. It was incredible. It sounds honestly <laughs> amazing. In a, in a completely, like, fan like, this is just I am transported kind <laughs> of way. And, the, like, obviously, like, the writing was good, but it was just, like, so targeted to me. Yeah. <laughs> and then the rest of it was, like, there was a, um, like, the Catherine Valente story was was fine. It was very short. There were a couple others that I was like, I would really have have liked this in high school. Like, it was targeted to past me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but, but now, present me was sort of, like, why? Like, there was one story that, like, sort of started out good and then I had so many world-building questions and it was one of those things of, like, why is this a fantasy story at all? Like, what, you've got world-building here, but it's, it's sort of just trappings stuck on the side of the thing? Um... Yes, so, that was... I'm glad I got it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if only for the Yoon and story.
1: Yes, and just for the, the delightful weirdness lowercase w. <laughs> 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 yeah, it was a bizarre cobbled-together thing, and I... Think it will. It would have been good for me a while ago. Not so much now. But <laughs> for now, I can pretend that she was was talking to me for a while. So that's all I need, really.
0: I honestly and ironically really want to read that because that sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I think
1: you should. I, I really think you should. It it was a roller coaster of emotion.
0: <laughs> I I might try and track that down. Because I'm just I'm really curious about the other stories as well, just because of how you've described this book to me. Um I think yeah. I sent you at least one screenshot from it, yeah, right? I did. <laughs> yeah. It was something.
1: <laughs> yeah. So uh basically when i was choosing the books that i was gonna talk about today i wanted to talk mostly about books that i liked and then also that (laughs) so now i'm done criticizing and we can move on but i i had to express all the things i felt while reading that (laughs) there were many things oh my god
0: well in in my world i also have a bunch of books that well, I didn't love them all, but I didn't hate them. And then there's Autonomous, which was also a wild <laughs> ride for me. Um, I don't remember why I b- ordered this book at the library, but I picked it up and I was like, cool, why did I order this? And I read the back, it was like brooding military person with their robot servant, or blah, blah, well not robot servant, but like indentured robot. And who just wants to be free or whatever? And I was like, "Oh, this sounds like my kind of ha. thing!" So straight away, I was yep. like, "I can see why I got this book out." Turns out, those two characters are actually kind of the antagonists of the story. They're not actually the protagonists, despite being <laughs> that's a trace Like it was kind of weird. Like the way that the blurb and everything framed the story, like you assume that this pirate is the antagonist and that the military person and their robot are the protagonist because you're like oh these are the good guys trying to stop this bad pirate person. But it's kind of the opposite. The pirate person ends up being the protagonist and these guys end up being the antagonists, but that's not super clear throughout the story. Um like it's not it kind of feels like everybody's a protagonist in a way. Like it's like everybody's the good guy. If everybody's the good guy, then who's the bad guy? Like what are they actually fighting against? Um so apart huh. from the story being kind of like not having a point to itself except to be like I don't even entirely know what this point was to be quite honest I guess the like freeing uh the patents for drugs so that people can get free access to medication which you know good good point um I think that's really the only good point that that book made it's quite a mess and I don't understand why it has so much praise because it's really bad uh tries so hard to do like interesting robot stuff and like sentient AI stuff but one of the big things that got to me in it was that the main character, the main robot, whose name I... F- Paladin, um, is gendered as masculine at the start and they're like, Oh, all military droids are because blah blah blah, men are whatever. Um and so they and but the robot's like, but I don't have a gender. Like I don't really care what people call me or whatever. And at some point, like <laughs> It's a really badly written, like, fanfic-esque romance between the main character and this robot, um, the soldier, whose name I've forgotten completely, and this robot. And I didn't... I I started reading the book and I was like, this seems like a pretty decent, like, you know, like a typical average sci-fi romp kind of thing. And then pirate gets like the slave boy and frees him and he sticks with her and then she he's trying to like get her to keep him around and he like starts fling with her and everything and she was like he looks like a little yaoi boy and i was like oh my god what book am i what? reading what am i reading <laughs> oh no the moment, oh no the i hit that i was just like oh no and <laughs> i instantly everything was clicked into place and I realized that it was gonna be just be like stupid romance stuff. And so yeah, the the soldier and his robot, like it turns out the soldier like had a thing for this robot, but he's like, like, I'm not gay, blah, blah, blah. I, I'm not gay and this robot's a boy, so I can't be into this robot. And so at some point he like asks the robot what gender, like the brain is inside of it, the brain that handles its facial recognition and stuff. Like it's got a real human brain in it. Um And he, like, asks what gender the brain is. And so the robot finds out what gender the brain is. And the brain apparently came from a woman. And so this guy's like, oh, I'm not gay because you're a woman. (laughs) And he, like, asks if he can start calling her she and everything. And the robot's like, I'm still, I don't care, but sure, whatever, do that. And this guy gets really passive, not passive, like really aggressive at people about misgendering this robot that does not give a shit. And so it's this whole little thing of, like, trying to do like a trans allegory with this robot that it just doesn't matter and it's only he only changed its gender like he didn't care about gender really except for when he was like oh i'm not gay now um and the entire time the robot's like I'm saying yes because I want to, you know, I want to bang this guy. But at the same time, the robot's like, none of this really matters and he's never going to understand, like, actual robot gender in any way. But what does that matter? It doesn't matter. So he never faces up to that at all. The robot never talks to him about that at all. Um, It suddenly just, like, yeah, the entire, they just swap the robot's gender just to make a romance work so it's not gay, which is, it's so weird. I don't. All of it was handled so badly that I was just reading this book to see how much more of a wreck it could become as I was going through it, and everything it tried to do about like AI sentience just fell flat like completely. It didn't handle it well. It made this far future where because robots, sentient robots, could be indentured, they apparently in the future that meant that they made humans could be indentured too, and I was like, that's. I feel like that's not where anybody would go with this i feel like that's that's backwards kind of like (laughs) that's
1: definitely backwards yeah so i'm making such expressions as you're saying all of this
0: that's how there's probably expressions i've made already in this book so i cannot (laughs) i cannot in good faith recommend this book to anybody unless you just really want trashy robot human sex but even then like it just it's kind of just fade to black like it's never even like descriptive about anything so like it's just none of it's good and i don't understand why people like it
1: yeah that sounds sort of like the least interesting route you could go with human robot relationships yeah
0: yeah i'm disappointed because it looked like it would be really cool but i just i hate it <laughs> i hate to be mean to I'm a sorry. book but i just hate this book so much and evil worse is like i read this right after reading retrograde so i was like cool i'll read a good sci-fi book and so i went from terrible sci-fi book to another terrible sci-fi book which is why i was like you know what? i'm just gonna read halo now um <laughs> another i also read um love minus 80 which is weird i think it might be young adult um it's like it's also another far future thing where people who beautiful women who have whose insurance couldn't cover them being revived in the future where they can revive people from death um, get put into like these facilities where like dating facilities where they're kept dead but they can be like reanimated briefly to go on dates with like rich be- with rich dudes and if the dudes decide what? to marry them o- only only <clears throat> to
1: go on dates yeah. they
0: can't do anything else the, the facilities are too expensive for family to come visit them. Um, <laughs> so it's like hmm. really rich dudes will go, and they're called bridesicles. And so really rich dudes will go to these bridesicle dating facilities, and find hmm. a woman that they really want to marry, and they'll pay for her insurance to cover her injuries and revive her, and then she'll be married to them forever. Like there's no That's way silly. to get out. Like they're, they're straight up locked up contracts there. Um, and so it's an intertwining story hmm. between like three. Point of view characters um, who all end up being linked and everything, and it's about like a dating advisor and a girl, a gay girl, who gets almost no screen time in the book at all. Who is one of the bridesicles, and all she does is get <laughs> resurrected, like get woken up throughout the story to become like the depressing face of the bridesicle campaign, like shut down the facility campaign. And so I kind of felt like interesting that the gay, the gay character barely gets any time at all or any agency whatsoever within the book um, but as much as like this book was just weird and not great I do appreciate how well it wrote the intertwining narratives. Like It, it managed to handle quite a large ca- cast of characters and mix them together really well uh, so that was really good. The writing was quite good it was just the subject material was mm, weird and not great and it ended yeah, that, uh, too perfectly that, somewhat
1: I think there was an episode of Black Mirror that did that well. The sort of, like, being stuck in a, like, basically having your brain uploaded into a computer is, like, I've been watching Black Mirror, so that reminds me of that. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it feels a little Black Mirror.
1: Yeah. But I can't get over the Bridesicle thing. Yeah, I couldn't... That's a a word, already. I couldn't get
0: past it. I was like, nobody in their right mind would actually, like, Cool. This doesn't... The problem with both this and Autonomous is, like, it describes these futures that just don't feel realistic. It's like, humanity would never end up here. Like, these aren't real. Despite, like, ignoring all the science, it obviously doesn't make sense. Like, this isn't just where people would go. It's... Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That whole thing was weird. So then I went to Halo and I was like, you know what? Halo loves me. And I found Contact Harvest on the mystery <laughs> shelf. So I was like, you know what? Let's read Contact Harvest because it's been a while.
1: Halo loves me. Halo will always
0: be there for me. Though I did forget. Can that be, a- can that be our tagline <laughs> oh for God. Western Reaches? Yes. Halo is always there for us. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I. It was interesting rereading Contact Harvest because that was one of the first few Halo books I ever read when I first started getting properly into the series. Um, and reading it now, I was like, oh, I think this may have been the start of my AI love. Um, <laughs> because it has Mac and Sif, who aren't main characters in the story, really there's enough of them like interacting and they have like a little tiny romance and everything and it's all tragic and everyone it's all sad and the worst and everything and I was like as I was reading the book I was just like hmm this may be where I have gotten this from because I don't entirely remember having a huge AI obsession before like that period of my life where I started getting into Halo so I have a really, I have a feeling this book was quite formative for my fiction tastes. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's it's pretty typical like old Halo novels. Um, I forgot there's a somewhat sex scene in it near the end. I got to that and I was like, okay, sure. I this isn't really a thing in Halo novels anymore, but okay, sure. Why not? Um, yeah, it was. I know I read you know. that book, but
1: I don't remember it very well at all.
0: Yeah, neither. I remembered. The main things I remembered from that were like Mac and Sif, um The Space Elevator, and like the first time that the Covenant and the Humans interact. I remembered that much. And so the rest of it was yeah, kinda like Johnson's in that one, right? Yeah, he's one of the main characters in that. So that's yeah. always cool. Because I love Johnson. Um yeah, good book. I mean solid book. It's not a great book, but it's solid Halo writing. And I also read Halo Retribution, I think, which is the new Vita Lopez book. Have I got the name! Yes. right? Yes. I read that. I loved it so much. Like, it did everything I love. My favorite thing is Vita hugging, like, <laughs> Fred <laughs> in his, like, yes. Spartan-issued underwear <laughs> and nothing else. Yeah, he's, he's like, this is so awkward, <laughs> not not
1: least because she's, like,
0: three feet shorter than him. <laughs> I love it so much. She's, like, living the dream. I'm like, I want to hug a <laughs> mostly naked Spartan Fred um (laughs) it's just it's so good everything about it is just great like i love Lopez. i love her Spartan babies i love fred and i remembered um because when you talked about it you mentioned like the whole thing of like fred sanctioning using the missiles or whatever on civilians who were trapped in the
1: prison that was the the book with fred and the nukes yeah it was that
0: one and when i got to that i was like i see what you mean i definitely see what you mean um but I also don't think I had as much of a reaction to it as you did because later on, I think something similar happens that Vita approves or something like that. I'm not entirely sure. It was one of those like Halo things where it's like, ah, yes, they're doing bad things for the good of mankind, I guess, but I feel weird about it still. Yeah. It's like how I don't... like. I'm like, I love the Spartans and I love Halsey, but I'm like, don't actually ask me about the ethical implications of this because I don't <laughs> want to talk about that.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's definitely that... like nuclear weapons are such a trope in Halo, almost, that, like, they're kind of supposed to make Spartans look cool, and they kind of have to be used that way, which, like, it's the trope. I'll go with it, but (laughs) it made me uncomfortable. Yeah, Yeah. there's some things in Halo where I'm just like, I'm just not going to think about this beyond where it is. Um, But I will say that, like you were saying, Halo books recently have also been doing an excellent job on the wish fulfillment front, (laughs) like, between retribution and legacy of onyx it's a lot of that like
0: oh my god yeah
1: like literally me
0: <laughs> kind of thing <laughs> i was so amazed at retribution and just how much it was just like exactly what i wanted at every point it was yes. just amazing um my favorite <laughs> thing about it is oh no what's the author's name again i've forgotten
1: is that um is it the same
0: guy who did the previous Lopez yeah book? yeah hang
1: on i'm gonna fill
0: this real quick, because I'm going to say the wrong one. My brain is just saying phobic, because it's Onyx, which is what I'm reading right now.
1: Yeah, that's what I was going to say. No, it's, it's Troy Denning. That's it.
0: It's Troy Denning. Yes, I love his obvious, like, complete love for weaponry in Halo. Like... Literally any time he mentions a weapon, even if it's just in passing, he will describe it, its entire name, like the bullets it uses, like everything. It'll be yep. like so and so drew their sidearm and then like a whole like sentence that's just the description of the <laughs> sidearm and its proper halo name and everything, and then continues with the sentence yep. and I'm like, This is so stupid, but I love it so much because it happens <laughs> yep. every single time. <laughs> it just leans right into the like
1: military fetishization thing, yeah. which like It's good to recognize what it is, but also, like, it immediately transports me back to playing Halo CE, and I'm like, yes, this is exactly, (laughs) like, this is trash, but this is my trash. It's
0: it's such a trash book, and I can imagine so many, like, bro Halo fans hating this book. Like, I can just see it so clearly, because it's just, it's straight up trashy. (laughs) Halo stuff, Um, but it's the best kind of trashy Halo stuff, and I just love it. I want – because it's obviously leading on to, like, more Vita Lopez books, so I'm like, yes, more. I love her so much. Uh,
1: There's probably people mad about this somewhere. Luckily, I haven't seen any of that. I've only ever seen, like, mostly Tumblr people who are (laughs) enjoying these books. Yeah, So – Yeah, if there's discourse out there, it can continue to stay further away from me.
0: Yeah, the one thing I love about Halo um, is that I'm not involved in the fandom in any way whatsoever. So I don't know anything (laughs) about the discourse or what anybody talks about it. So I'm like, you know what? It's like a safe, happy place where I can love whatever I want and nobody can tell me I'm wrong. I'm exactly as involved as I want to be right now, which is
1: mildly. Yeah. (laughs) And then we review the books here, so we're good. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's... It's exactly how I like it. It's like when Star Wars gets too intense, I'm like, I'm just going to retreat into Halo because there's nobody there who disagrees with me on it so far. Um.
1: <laughs> so tell me about how much you love Legacy of Onyx.
0: I haven't actually finished Legacy of Onyx yet. I'm a, I am have like a fifth lit to go, I think. I'm at the point now where like all of the the Guardians are like coming up and everyone's like, oh no, things are bad. Um, and Cortana just like sent through a message to the speakers. So it's kind of cool reading this and getting to this point where it intersects with Halo 5. Um, because I realized, like, reading uh, Retribution and Legacy of Onyx, I'm like, oh yeah, there's so much stuff that they're actually, like, building up from Halo 5 that I just never thought about, because I didn't actually consider Halo 5 that much, Um, and so I really like all that stuff. Legacy of Onyx, is <laughs> I am not a fan of Matt Forbeck's writing, but I still really love what this book is about. Like, the prose I just falls flat for me completely. I just, it feels like somebody just reciting a story to me kind of um but mm-hmm. i love that the main character molly has just built like this like accidentally built this friendship group of like outcast grunt uh gudam who's just like the squeakiest little girl mm-hmm. ever she's basically me as a grunt um and then Bakar, like the <laughs> the really emo <laughs> outcast sang Haley who's like i <laughs> don't like fighting
1: sang Haley. <laughs> i want to bring
0: peace to everybody i don't want to fight like everybody else it's so good <laughs> and, i love uh, that idea of how like of like
1: what a counterculture sanghealy would be is actually like super peaceful
0: <laughs> yeah he's just this brooding peaceful dude so who doesn't want to fight i don't want to
1: be like your dad which is actually a major thing in this book
0: yeah i i one thing I always forget whenever I'm reading these books is how to pronounce Joel Imdama's name and so I started playing Halo 5 and I was like thank god they say his name because I always forget how to say it um but yeah I started reading it and they like start talking about Dural Imdama and stuff like that and I was like hmm Imdama that name sounds familiar why is that and then it clicked and I was like oh oh they must be like related to this guy and so it ends up being the yeah, a whole thing that I didn't expect and then they keep talking about Avo Med or whatever I'm like I legitimately remember his name and I don't remember who his character is. So at some point I'm gonna have to look him up to try and remember who the hell he is. Uh and my favorite thing about like the servants of the abiding truth in this book are they they're just described as like basically just the alt right of the Sang Haley. Like, yeah, like Yeah There's one point where um uh Dural, I think. Who's the leader of the Servants of the Abiding Truth? Is watching like a female Sangheili who's on the side of the humans and the UNSC and whatever uh, fight like this big monster, and he's like, honor demands that I should go save her because any noble like Sangheili warrior would do this, go save a woman in-, in trouble. But he's like, I can't because she's not on my side. And this whole like little thing where he's like, every Sangheili warrior knows that honorably they have to go save the woman, and I was just like, buddy, you're so like tips Fedora milady right now. <laughs>
1: yeah, I kind of liked that they pointed out that that was an old way yeah. for the Sangheili. Like, that was not necessarily how, like, um, the Arbiter would behave, but this guy <laughs> was momentarily stunned by his own his own tradition.
0: Yep, I love it so much. I really appreciate because I don't remember what the book was called, but there's the one with, um, where there's the lady Sangheili, um, who gets brought... And then the arbiter's like, She's good. Maybe we should have a woman fight. Let's change traditions. Yeah. And I was like, Cool. The arbiter's a cool dude. So Servants of the Abiding Truth are the backwards dudes who just hate everything. That's not them, basically. Uh, but yeah, I found that bit just hilarious because of how torn he was between like his internal need to protect a woman, um, because women are weak and useless and also like hating anybody that's associated with humans. Uh, it was it was a good moment of him just being the worst person ever. Well, the worst thing, Haley ever. Um, yeah, I I really appreciate this book, just if only because it's got like Lucy and Tom, um, the Spartans from previous books, and Mendez, who's like their old grumpy granddad, and Onyx is just cool, and it's been in a bunch of stuff before as well. So it's like, I really want to do a read through at some point, like chronologically, from start to the end of all the Halo books again, because I haven't read like I read most of them. That were out when Halo 4 came out. Um, I read them all in one lot, like years ago, and then I've kind of read the new ones staggered a bit. But a lot of the stuff calls back to the older books that I don't remember that well. Uh, so I, at some point, really want to go back and read everything again. Because the more I read the new books, the more I remember how much I love reading Halo books.
1: Yeah, that would be a cool project. Especially with Onyx, because now they've got. Because it was. I rem I remember back when <laughs> it was an uncharted wilderness, yes. and nobody even knew it
0: existed in some strange bubble of slip space. Back when it has like got
1: elementary schools, <laughs>
0: like- yeah. Back when it was a planet made of sentinels. Those were the days. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. I really i I am finished it, yet, but I'm kind of excited too. Even though, yeah, like I said, like I don't love the prose, but I love the story a lot.
1: I do agree with you that it definitely has that sort of um unintentional distance where it feels like someone saying once upon a time this thing
0: happened to you yeah that's pretty much exactly it and it's especially weird having that kind of writing with like a teenage girl as the main character because you've got her being a teenage girl compared with like this really passive writing about her being a moody teenage girl Um, and so it feels just a little bit clashy in that situation um but yeah still good halo books always decent in some form i, I was
1: reading another one um which i don't want to go too much into because basically i was i read a book called "Weave the circle round which didn't make a huge impression on me it was also very well reviewed but like i thought it was okay but comparing it to um uh, legacy of Onyx, both of them are about teenage girls who kind of intentionally don't really have like, the, so the girl in Weave a Circle Round was was young. She was 14, I think, and she grows a little bit throughout the book. And one of her like character hurdles was that she didn't really, wasn't really passionate about anything, and she didn't really like anything, and she was just angry all the time. And... I understood what the author was going for with, like, sometimes that's the teenage experience. But also, it meant that there wasn't really anything for me to latch on to her. And I kept going, there are so many more interesting characters who have passions. Yeah. Why isn't this book about them? Whereas with Legacy of Onyx, you kind of see the character's um, interests, like, pushing through. And she's kind of trying to suppress them because she's angry, (laughs) but she has a personality. It's just... Being pushed back by her situation. So I did. I agree with you that the prose was not like super technically amazing, but the characterization did something well. That I then went and read this other book, which I did badly, <laughs> so it reflects better
0: Yeah, in hindsight. Yeah, and I honestly identify with Molly a lot because she goes to this amazing Forerunner planet and she's like, cool, Spartans, I want to hang out with the Spartans. Yes. And I'm like, yeah, same, yeah. big same. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she's like trying so hard to like be cool around the Spartans. <laughs> I love it so much. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's basically what I've been reading lately. Just a bunch of bad sci-fi and then a bunch of Halo because that's my life right now. <laughs> so... Let's move on to the main topic, um, which, as we mentioned earlier, was, is, was, um, is about characterization in games and the characterization of player characters in particular in games. So the character that you, yourself, the player, plays. Um, And so, yeah, Megan was prompted for this topic by Planescape Torment, which she also mentioned earlier. And there's a few other things. For me, also, it's like Halo 5, because I'm playing through that at the moment, and I'm finding the characterization of the main Spartans in that game, question marks, shrug, raise, shoulders, kind of. Um. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, Uh, Megan, do you want to lead this a bit? Because I feel like you have a certain idea in mind.
1: Sure. Uh, This came out of a couple different conversations. One was a, a friend and I were talking quite a while ago in the summer about whether we prefer to build our own player characters in terms of, like mostly RPGs, right, where you can do some degree of um, characterization. We're going to, like, assume for this purpose that there is some kind of customization available. She likes to create a character completely from scratch and not to be limited at all by dialogue responses or to be limited as little as possible by any presets. Whereas I tend to like characters that have a little bit of a preset personality so that I can then build off of that and... On the other hand, you'll have games that have named protagonists um, Oxenfree uh, and Planescape Torment are the two very (laughs) different examples that I keep thinking of. This is going to be a very um, ahistoric conversation, I think. We're going to jump around a lot, but that's okay. Um, Where the character has a name and an established personality and you can tweak that a little bit um i found myself doing a lot of head canoning with the nameless one everything from he's actually asexual to he's actually a lady basically because i'm used to playing characters that i can customize to a degree but that's obviously not really intended by the story and then there's something like oxenfree where you can make choices but there's some historical points right so that one point and and Saf, correct me if I'm wrong, and if there's a way to, like, get around to this, mm-hmm. but I remember at one point there's dialogue that just starts, and it's, it, it's, Alex, right, mentions that she stole a car at one point? Like, yeah,
0: I think I her, remember that. Her parents'
1: car, yeah, and... That, to me, um, kind of took me out of the personality I had created for her. Because I immediately went, well, I wouldn't do that. Like, that's not <laughs> yeah. how my Teenage Rebellion manifested. Therefore, I can't, like be this character anymore. Um, and the idea of roleplay versus character traits is definitely something that has to be established early on when you're developing a game. What kind of character do you want to make? So I guess um, part of this is going to be me like just bouncing questions off of Saf because she knows more about this from the professional side. Um, but so do you prefer to play player characters with established personalities or ones that are entirely on your own And from a writing perspective, how do you build characters that players can either make as blank slates or can connect to as people? That's, like, my super vague introduction. Do you have any, like, immediate responses
0: to that? (laughs) do, somewhat. Um, I, ooh, it depends. I don't like playing a completely blank slate character because I don't know what to do do with them when i do that like in skyrim you can build a character and they just they you can they look like whatever and they can kind of do whatever and there's no past history or anything you have to worry about that builds a character up like they're just completely blank and you take them and you build them into a person that you are like oh this is my character and they are named this and they married this person and blah 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 i can't do that like if you give me a blank slate i just cannot build upon that at all um so that's why I prefer the characterization or the character building in Mass Effect compared to Dragon Age because Mass Effect gives you the whole, this is Commander Shepard and they do these things and you get like the spaceborn or like war hero and like the different options you can build off there, um, which kind of gives you an idea of who your character is. And then um, you've got like past things that you can build off there as well. So Shepard kind of has the big like space hero, war marine, war marine, uh, space marine, war hero <laughs> kind of thing going on. And whether you're playing Paragon or Renegade, you can easily build it off of that as well. Um and so that's why I prefer Mass Effect, because you have that kind of solid base to build a character on. Whereas with Dragon Age, especially Inquisition, you're just especially Inquisition, you're just thrown with like things like that don't even have uh emotions or personality things associated with them sometimes. They're just like you can just say things and it doesn't matter what you say. You can change your character's personality at any point in the game, it doesn't matter. And so I always end up with these weird like wishy washy kind of characters that just don't do anything for me um so like I love my hawk a lot because I made her like an aggressive hawk and I built my character like I have a whole story for my particular hawk built off of this really aggressive character that I played in game um whereas my inquisitor is just nothing she's just a blank slate even after finishing the entire game I'm like ah I have no thoughts about this character at all um but that's just me personally I need that kind of seed of a character to build off um and also somewhat depends on the game like if I'm playing a more linear game I'm I kind of prefer a more defined character whereas if I'm playing a more open game I mean personally I can still kind of want that more defined character but I also expect more customization within that open world game if that makes sense um yeah which was something interesting about about found with Aloy from horizon zero dawn is that they kind of tried to give you the impression of having some control over her through the choices they had in dialogue but my problem with that was that the choices didn't affect her actual characterization within the game um or how the world reacted to her and they also weren't that often so it was like this weird like every now and then you get like a choice that didn't change anything, it didn't affect anything, it didn't even affect how Aloy acted on the whole. It was just there to give you like the illusion of choice. Um and I really didn't I definitely like it. I think of
1: her I definitely think of Aloy as more further along the scale to an
0: established character. Yeah, which is why I found those choices weird, because they felt out of place for such an established character. Um and yeah, I yeah whatever. Uh, I kind of went off topic with that one. Um, and then you also have characters like in KOTOR, who you can kind of build up as whatever you want somewhat, but in the original KOTOR, your character has a whole past and like a whole thing that's part of the game and part of the story. And so even though you build your characters as they are now, you have this knowledge that they were a completely different person previously. And so you can kind of either integrate that with who you are now, or choose to push that away. And so I find that a really interesting thing to play with in that game in particular, which is one of the reasons I love that game so much. Uh, when it comes to the des- development point of view, uh, one of the games I'm working on at the moment, I am having the problem of like trying to figure out how much of the player character uh, we want to put in the game and build into the game itself, and you getting the idea of who that player character is or keeping them more of like a cipher type person. So like they're not actually... You don't get much about them. You kind of put yourself in the place of them. But because the game we're working on is so based on that character's family, we're probably erring more towards you get more of a sense of who the player character is to work off of that. Uh, whereas, like in her story, um, you like not customizable at all. But you kind of just sit there and you are because you're interacting with a computer interface. You are the player character in some way, um, and You do get flashes of your face that shows that you are the daughter of the main character, which isn't really spoilers because it's like, whatever, old game. And also the reflections come up pretty early on. Um, you, You get an idea of who this character is supposed to be, but it's also just kind of you. You're interacting with this and you're finding out what's happening. That has no... That particular... Who the character is has no real base mm, effect on how you play the game um and so largely it's about like whether or not you customize a character it depends on who you want to play the game how you want them to play the game and interact with the world and the narrative um and like also what kind of game it is what genre it is because in rpgs we're likely to have customization than other games um like even final Fantasy IV- fifteen which like, the main characters are their own characters, you can still change their clothes and make them look ridiculous if you want them to because that's kind of an established thing in RPGs now. Like At least changing clothes is something you can change about your characters. If you played through an entire RPG, like an open-world RPG, where you couldn't change your outfit, that would be really weird. That That's just very limiting, um, I think. And this was also something we discussed when we were working on Loverwatch, the Overwatch dating sim, was how much personality to give the player character because... You're playing a basically a wish fulfillment dating sim, um, but did we want to like build at least a small personality to work off of there, uh, which gives us more like gave us more uh, stuff to write with ourselves to interact with the main character, um, or yeah. did we want a completely blank character, or did we want like a named character and everything? And then we kind of went with like a happy medium of they had like three personality traits. I think and one was that they like, really liked food. Um, One was that they were optimistic and, like, stuff like that. So there were certain things that you could – that we built into it as the characters defining things. And then every choice that you could make and every interaction you could make could branch off of those in ways that you could build the character in different directions, but those were the main things that they were, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. And that kind of connects to something that I was reading when I was first proposing this topic, which was that – the sort of the writer behind Planescape Torment and behind Knights of the Old Republic um, was a uh, Chris Avalon. Yeah, who had this method for creating do, using amnesia for um, saying <laughs> yeah. your character. Did these things in the past, but that's not necessarily who you are now, which is kind of the best of both worlds, mm-hmm. which I thought was really interesting. Where So you've got this whole story and the plot comes from what your character did in the past, but you can also create them to be whatever you want, which was kind of funny, too, because with Planescape, I was playing as, like, essentially just, like, when I go through RPGs for the first time, I'm usually just playing as, okay, what would I do? Like, if it, if this was me. So it, it meant that you had this character who was, like, super intimidating and also just, like, really curious about everyone and, like, asking all the deep lore <laughs> questions. Yeah. Um. So, which was sort of funny. And that got me thinking then about Mass Effect, because I also think Mass Effect did a better job than Dragon Age with this, partially because... It allows you to set the events that Shepard went through, but not Mm -hmm. her reactions to them. And I think that's an important distinction because the event is a plot point, even if it's one that doesn't directly impact the plot, like the Shepard backgrounds. But but the reaction is a personality trait. And separating those two things was very effective for me in terms of allowing me to build off of what was already there.
0: Yeah, I actually really like how um, Mass Effect does its characterization of Shepard throughout the games. Um, I know it's a personal thing for me in particular, because I know a lot of people really don't like the Paragon Renegade thing, because you can get locked out of certain choices and blah blah blah, which is fair. Like, it sucks to have such a didactic kind of system where you can't play a more in-between character uh, without the game punishing you for it, which is something... It was also sort of built out
1: of KOTOR's morality code, right? Yeah. Which was intended to be didactic essentially
0: yeah but yeah and the biggest complaint there is just basically that it punishes people who play in the middle uh which is a fair fair criticism and it is something that mass effect kind of struggled with uh that i had a problem with in the first game before i totally clicked how the paragon renegade thing worked um you do like you can't really play in the middle if you want to achieve certain things in the game. And so like there's points where you could say like you either you build a way so that the game can work for somebody who plays in the middle and or you don't lock out certain things because of like you like the one thing I hate in like Mass Effect 3 is if you you can stop the elusive man from trying to kill himself or something if you have done three or stop him from shooting you if you've done like three particular paragon options throughout the game between like branching dialogue which is such a stupid thing to be like you can only say this thing if you've done like said these other three things throughout this entire mm-hmm. 10-hour long game basically and so those when it comes to characterization and building like systems that punish you for not playing your character exactly how they wanted you to um kind of takes away the agency from the player building the character how they want But at the same time, like, I'm not, I I think that's bad. Like, I think there are other ways to handle that that are better. But I do, yeah, I love how Mass Effect handles, like, yeah, you can build what happens to your character in the past, but yeah, the game doesn't tell you how they reacted to it. That's your choice when characters talk to you about it. And you can can build your character however you kind of want from those experiences, but you have those experiences to build off of to begin with. Whereas in, like, Dragon Age Inquisition, you have your character's race. And you know that your character was at the Conclave, and that's about all you have. Like, that's that's everything. Whereas in Dragon Age Origins, you have your class and your race, and between those two, you have a background. And so either you could pick a background, like if you're a dwarf, whatever, you could be a nobleman or a commoner. Uh, whereas if you're a mage, <laughs> you're basically just in the tower. Um, and I really like how Origins did it. I think Origins is my favorite of the three games when it comes to character building, partly because it had no voice player character. So they had a lot of options when it came to actually picking what you wanted to say within the game because you could just say anything. They didn't have to worry about voicing it. Um, so you, I build up a character who was very, um, she was very young and naive and trying her best to be the big hero and just screwing everything up, basically, because that's basically what I was trying to do. I was trying to be the big hero of this game, and I just kept screwing everything up, and this character kind of fell into that. And she had the look of somebody, like she had these big wide eyes that just looked kind of perpetually in confusion, and because of how the game was built with the background of like, she was an elf, but she grew up in the circle, and so she's one of like the more oppressed races but she grew up in this place away from her people so she's cut off from her own culture because of how that is but she's also not part of humans and she's also cut off from other humans and everybody else because she's a mage and so because of how they built the backgrounds I automatically got all of those things just from three choices basically Uh, whereas in Inquisition I played a mage who was also an elf and the game didn't have anything like it didn't say whether or not I'd been in the circles or whether or not like it said that you came from your like your tribe of elves, I think, but it didn't give you much more than that. Um so there was nothing for me to build off of there. Like the game gives this idea that the elves in Inquisition lore at least cast out mages if they have too many, because that's too many mages or something. So if they have more than like a couple, they'll cast out the rest. An and I'm like, was my elf cast out? Like I don't know. Maybe. Who knows? Uh and I think for some people that openness is really good and they really like it but I just I'm not a fan of it. I like having more than nothing when it comes to voting a character.
1: When I was writing my second twine game, I came into this question of how do I signpost what moral system I'm basing the player's consequences on. Mm. So, it's a, it's a small Twine game. It's the first one I wrote that has a proper character, so it was the first time I needed to think about this kind of thing, so I, I can't guarantee that I did it in any particularly interesting way, but my first Twine game, the main character, had been entirely a, a blank slate. It was essentially supposed to be, you know, you, the player, or me, the writer, and that was Intentional, But the second one, I really wanted to feel like you were playing a character. So they have a couple recurring character traits, but I also needed to create signposts for what kind of activities were likely to punish or reward you. Because I didn't want that problem with Mass Effect, which I agree <laughs> is also... Sort of a a problem. It's where I start reaching for the walkthrough instead of going, okay, what would my character do? Because if, if the choices seem random, you don't know which choices to make, right? Like you said, those three Paragon choices out of however many. Yeah. So I wanted to be sure to signal this is the kind of thing, and in this case, it was, again, very simple, like, gathering party members. The more people, the more you were open to bringing other people along with you on your very short journey, the more likely you were to succeed. So, like, one of the first choices is to either leave someone behind or help them, and I tried to, like, signpost. This game isn't going to, there isn't really, like, a dark and a light side option. You either, like, Either you're nice or you lose, yeah. basically. <laughs> um, so uh, that was that was interesting to try to build for myself.
0: Yeah, I think when it comes to game writing and game design in particular, that's a really important thing to actually like learn as well, because there are a lot of times in games where either. You've kind of got the the two different sides of it. You've got the side where it's really ham-fisted and it's trying to make it really obvious what your choice is going to do. And you're just like, oh, okay, sure, whatever. Like It's the game like basically holding your hand and guiding you. And you've got the other side where the game doesn't give you any signposting or any hints whatsoever, and you just are completely lost. In a sea of choices, you just don't know what's going to do what. And the other way to find out is to just make choices and hope that the game doesn't randomly punish you for stuff that's completely unrelated, basically. like There's some games where you'll make a choice... At the start of the game, and then like at the end of the game, it'll come back and bite you in the ass. Even though like there's no way to have known that that was a choice with actual consequences, kind of thing. And in some games, it's done really well because that's the point of the game. In other games, it's not because you can tell the designer didn't actually think that much about it. Uh, and it's it's definitely an important thing to learn because if you do it well, it's it's really good because then you kind of inherently help the player understand what they're doing with their own character and also the world and the systems of the world um and you also help write a better story that way basically uh that's something i'm also trying to learn is like giving hints through the the dialogue and the gameplay that make it clear what's good and what's bad kind of or not necessarily that but like what will be helpful and what won't be helpful uh and i think i think you did it pretty well in breach i can't entirely remember like what you did but off memory i definitely got a good sense of like if you help people and don't attack them or leave them behind they more they're, they'll help you they'll come with you and that's a good thing like i definitely got that sense when i came up against um the weird guard dog alien thing um yeah i was like the game kind of was like it could attack you but also like it seems like it might respond to commands maybe you should try that kind of thing and so my first reaction wasn't it fight this weird thing, it was try and talk to the weird thing, uh, because of how the game was done. Which yeah, so like I said, I think you did it quite well, um, just off memory. And I think it's good that you're thinking about that as much as you are, because I have seen people who are writing like their first game and they do that thing where that I mentioned before where they're like they wanna have a random choice that you make become some big consequence later on without actually thinking about why and what the player will think of that uh when it comes to writing and designing games you really have to think about the player is the player playing the game not the writer playing the game basically like you know all these things and you think these things are really smart but if it's going to piss off the player it's probably not a good choice because then the player will just put down your game and never play it again
1: thank you and then <laughs> it's also a replayability aspect yeah. because like Part of the reason I did this, I did Breach the way I did was because unlike Mass Effect 3, which is, you know, 80 hours long, Breach is, I don't know, 15 minutes long at most. So I wanted to encourage people to replay it basically because i get more views that way. <laughs> and therefore, I wanted it to have win and lose states. I wanted you to have to kind of work to win a little bit so i think that also comes into replayability without having to get a walkthrough Mm -hmm. you can go okay i'm gonna try this thing and see what happens which is obviously it's one person working on twine versus bioware making an 80 hour game those are two very different (laughs) scales (laughs) but that was my like thought process
0: i love it i think there was a game i played recently that i can't remember what it was oh uh Reigns Her Majesty the new the new Reigns game um something that game does really well is it makes it relatively obvious what the pros and cons of each choice you make are going to be like it's not always clear and sometimes you have to make that mistake to learn from it and then next time you'll be like oh I understand that now and as you go through you get more of a sense of like whether this choice will be like make the church mad at you or the people mad at you or like what it'll do um so you can help balance your uh like different scores to make sure you don't die or do too well that you die um and i played that game a lot because i i spent a lot of time like i'd make a choice and be like oh that's what that choice does and then i'd keep playing it and then i'd get that choice again and i'd do it the other way and see what that did and i liked seeing how different choices you made that were quite obvious like sometimes or like at least you get a sense for which one's going to go which way uh you can kind of get a sense for how they're going to build Onto each other to make a different kind of story that you'd get to. Uh, so I think Reigns from Majesty is one way. Like if is is a really good way to look at how choices and story. Excuse me, shut up, Google. I'm um, sorry. How choices and story and <laughs> hints and signposts can kind of be put into a game in a way that makes it fun and interesting and makes you want to kind of explore both ways, if that makes sense.
1: I do feel like we've gotten off into the weeds a little bit away from the character <laughs> yes, conversation. Yes, we have. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I, I know we're both working on like learning <laughs> to be better na- like narrative writers. So like that's you especially. So <laughs> I understand. But you mentioned something before that I want, I wanted to ask a question about character. I have a couple reasons why, um, I, I like Aloy. I think it makes, I, I would be very surprised if Aloy was not the, main character in the next Horizon Zero Dawn series game. But I have a couple of reasons why I'd almost like to see them do a different character completely. Um I don't know that that would necessarily be a custom character, but you mentioned this. So what do you think about the idea of putting a custom character in Horizon Zero Dawn or like open world games? Is there do you have any opinions about that that how do you think you would improve the type of customization that already exists for Aloy? And and would you like to see a completely customizable character in that world?
0: Ooh, that's hard. Um, I think I would like to see a game if it was unrelated to Aloy's story with a custom character, and seeing how you could relate to the world through that. Like being able to che- pick like a background, like in Dragon Age Origins, where you're like, I am with the I've forgotten all of the all of the different people already. Um, like I'm with the people who are from Meridian, and then I'm from the Frozen Wilds kind of stuff. Um, I can't believe I forgot literally yeah. every name of everything in this game so far. Um, <laughs> I think that would be a really cool way to explore the world, and I would not complain if that was a thing. But on the other hand, uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, as much as it is an open world game, it's a very linear story, and because it's such a linear story, they kind of need. A solidified player character, at least for like this story and the continuing stories that will probably follow a similar storyline. Um, like when it comes to silence. silence. Uh, Aloy being the character she is kind of plays a big role in your relationship with him when you play the game. Um, and I feel like, honestly, my biggest way to improve the customization in this game is to take out all the choices, which kind of takes away customization, (laughs) but on the other hand, if the choices aren't actually going to affect her personality at all, which it seems like they don't want because they have a defined personality for her, then I would rather they didn't even make it appear like they want to give me the choice but they don't actually care about what I pick. Uh, I would rather no choice at all. or. That it would be like with Hawk and Dragon Age Two, where if you do pick like the aggressive option, then Aloy is more likely to react aggressively in certain situations. Or if you pick like the intellectual option, then she'll do that. Like there's certain flags in the game where she'll react slightly differently. That would have been cool, and I would have appreciated that because you can still have her core character be the same, but her reactions be a little bit different based on how you play her. Uh, I would not mind if they introduced that in another game with her because that would be cool. Um, yeah, I think it's it's an interesting, interesting thing with so Horizon you'd... because sorry, <laughs> because it's just it's just such a linear story. It's a linear narrative in an open world game um which like way more so than most open world games out there. It's just the story itself is just very like cut and dry. This is a story, follow the story straight through. It could have been a linear game and still been the exact same story pretty much just because of how that's built. I I appreciate mm-hmm. that it's not a linear game because I enjoy playing the open world aspect of it but I would, I would genuinely love a customizable character whose is completely mine in this world, but I don't think it's likely in the kind of story that Gorilla's telling.
1: Yeah, so if it was your choice, you'd add, you could cut out the customization that already exists instead of adding more.
0: Yeah, I, w- I would probably cut out yeah. that, but I would possibly have it so that you could possibly like complete quests in different ways if that makes sense. So, like, you don't have to follow a straight line through a quest line. Like, you could go about it a different way and interact with characters in a different way if you don't agree entirely with it. Which, in some cases, the choices do come up, and you can do that. But if that was more of a thing... Like, if they leaned more into the slight customization of Aloy than, like, the appearance of customization, I would prefer that. Um, But if they Mm -hmm. just stick in the middle, I would rather them just cut it out completely. If that is clear.
1: (laughs) Yeah. yeah. No, that's that's interesting. Basically place the customization at the at the edge instead of at the core. Right? Yeah,
0: pretty much. Because it's just, so, yeah, it, it feels kind of frustrating. And it's like you feel like you have no agency over what they are trying to give you agency over.
1: I have one last topic and then I think we'll wrap okay. up. Um, you mentioned voice acting before. And I immediately, and obviously this is a... Uh, typically a triple A conversation, but um, or double A mid grade indie zones often have voice acting. <laughs> yeah, is that a correct? Yeah, fact? yeah, voice acting. Yeah. Is <laughs> <quite awesome. laughs> um, and then I thought about Virginia, which was a game that had little to no dialogue, like spoken, but an amazing soundtrack and a lot of characterization. That was in no way a customizable character. It was like her story and she was a a fully created person Mm. um so is there do you have any thoughts about games that convey characterization particularly well through voice um i know dragon age does have multiple voice choices is that correct or does it depend on your race yeah you can pick i think between two different voices for each gender Mm. yeah um yeah, so any like games that you think utilize
0: that to create character in a particularly good way? Honestly, can I say The Sims? Because Sims Four, I think, lets you pick like between a couple different voices and then like pitch it higher or lower and that kind of stuff. Which uh, it feels weird to bring up Sims for this one, but it gives you like this extra level of personality into your Sim on top of everything else you're doing because Sims, I mean, is entirely about. Creating your own characters and making them completely yours, uh, and Sims 4 does that very well for the kind of game that it is, because it it just gives you all that customization. And I think The Sims does that well with the voice. Um, I I don't actually entirely know. It depends on the game, and it depends on how well it's done. Like when it comes to games like Oxenfree, one of the reasons that I got really into Oxenfree, like I loved it from the start, was just because of the power of the voice acting in that. Like the actors are just amazing. And the writing's really good, so just straight away I was pulled in by the characters of that. Um when it comes to Dragon Age and like the choices between the voices, they kind of did help influence my character and I did appreciate that. Um like I picked a different voice for each of my Inquisitors because one of them's like a petite little elf girl so she matched the cutesy voice a bit more and then the other one is more of a buff warrior lady, so she matched the other voice a bit more. Uh and so I think Inquisition I think that was a good choice that they made for voices in that because it gave you a bit more control of your character than, say, Hawk, who was quite. Even though Hawk was so kind of your blank slate, they were still quite defined, and that they had their own voice. She had a lot of her own personality. You couldn't always choose what she was going to say, but you could kind of affect how her personality changed over the game. She had her family and her past and everything else before that. Um, which, from Origins, if you go back even further, which has no voice whatsoever, it's a completely blank character apart from the backgrounds you pick. Um, that that character is very open, very very open. You create whatever you want basically, and you go to two, which is just very defined. And one of the things that stood out to me in two was the fact that you couldn't. That was it was a voiced main character, which was so different from the previous game. And her voice didn't match my idea of her, or like her face or anything that I have with her. Her voice just was there. I can't even remember what her voice sounds like honestly. Like nothing bad about the voice actress. It's just. It, she's not like you know commander Shepard. like it's it's sort of like a yeah. thing of like you Commander Shepard works with Jennifer Hale so well because she just plays both both like Paragon and renegade perfectly she's amazing she plays and the character kind of has defining is defined either way and her voice kind of makes that as well whereas with Hawk no matter what you do you've just got the kind of the same voice but a completely different character sometimes. Uh and it 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 was that was the one of the things that really did stand out to me was just the voice. It was she had a voice. She was a person who was talking. And then Inquisition, it felt a bit more normal. Um, And the fact that you got a choice there was kind of good. Uh, I don't know if I'm entirely answering your question there, but I prefer it personally. I prefer playing old RPG games where your main character doesn't have a voice. Like I definitely prefer that personally because it gives the writers more room to do more. And also I can fill in their voice in my head for my voice, which I like, Uh, (laughs) especially when I'm romancing Alistair. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I, that is my preference, which is not a thing nowadays because big RPGs, they want voice actors and cool people and all this stuff. And they, and I understand why that's a thing. It's just not my preference. I was also going to bring up Mass Effect. (laughs) My, um,
1: my opinion on this, like I don't have anything particularly deep to say. I think it's generally acknowledged that Jennifer Hale did a really good job in bringing both warmth and sort of that, like hard as steel attitude to Shepherd. Mm. I also actually really liked the voice for Ryder in Oh Master yeah, to I Andromeda. did appreciate. I haven't played much, yeah. but
0: what I heard, I did like her voice a lot. She's, yeah, um, I mean, Andromeda was uh, the she's Allegra, right? She's the one that plays Josephine, I think, in Inquisition. I do not know. I would have to look I could be wrong. Uh, either way, she's one of the people... Oh, I know. That might have been someone else. Never mind. She's someone. She's a really cool voice actress anyways. Uh, and yeah, I really like her voice in that. I think when it comes to giving a player character, like a customizable player character a voice either like if you give them good options that's really cool for if you've got more of a blank slate character uh, if you have more of a defined character like shepherd like you've got to have a strong voice actress or voice actor like you've got to have a powerful actor behind it or else it's not going to work uh planescape torment at least
1: the uh enhanced edition so i'm playing the enhanced edition but i've been told that all the voice acting is original um i hope that's true my, my friend told me <laughs> so it it has voiced lines for things like the first line of a, of a paragraph so oh, they'll be okay. like you'll get brief dialogue and then the, you'll read the rest of the paragraph or you'll get just idle dialogue if you let the if you just let the game sit for a few minutes the character will go and he's got this extremely gruff voice <laughs> so i'm gonna go let's the hold up like that's what he says, right yeah <laughs> um So there's some dialogue like that. Um, And I was sort of amused to see that that's the same way Destiny does it. Destiny will have uh, the characters will say, like the vendors will say a couple lines and then they have more dialogue in the text. So that hasn't changed in some cases (laughs) in, you know, 19 years.
0: Yeah, that's quite a common thing for um, RPG box is that well, not RPG box, NPC box, where, yeah, they'll give the player, like, they'll give the character, the NPC, like, a few lines that they'll actually say out loud, and they have, like, written dialogue, which means that they can write more dialogue for them than they can potentially budget for their voice acting, but it also means that they can change what they say, like, in Destiny too. it means that they can kind of alter what they say for, like, different events and different things happening in the world, um, without having to worry about voicing extra lines, uh, which I feel like in Destiny is less of an issue than it is in smaller games, because they have a bit more money. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's it's definitely something that was more common for main characters back in the day. And I kind of like that way of doing it as well because you get a bit of both worlds.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I think I'm I'm used to more cinematic games where everything is voiced, but this this way is not unusual either. I have to like shout out to Eris Morin, my favorite Destiny character, who has her voice actress is so good. She's got a really deep voice and it's very like, um, it's very smooth with the things she says are very creepy. So it's got a really unique texture and that's all I'm going to fangirl about Ares <laughs> today, but I have to do it a little. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think voices as well for like other characters that are main characters, but not the main character, having a distinct voice and that kind of thing is really helpful, uh, is one thing I've kind of noticed in, Des- not Destiny, Halo 5 is Holly Tanaka, who's one of the Fireteam Os- Fire Osiris members, uh, she's got like this really cool kind of like southerny uh, accent, like she's very American. Um, and whenever she talks, like she stands out from everybody else, because I notice her accent and her voice. And so I kind of get a sense of like where she came from, who she is, just because of how she sounds and how she talks uh and then (laughs) whereas Olympia Vale kind of just talks and she's just kind of normal sounding uh so her voice has made no impression on me whatsoever she in the game has made no impression on me whatsoever because the game doesn't seem to care about giving her any characterization through like dialogue or gameplay or anything she's just kind of there um so Halo 5 is kind of like (laughs) an example of where AI party members can go well like Holly Tanaka she's one that Most of my friends who've played Halo 5 that I know in, like, the real life of New Zealand, um, they all remember Holly, but most of them don't remember (laughs) Olympia Vale. And the only reason I remember Vale is because I read the book about her. Uh, Whereas, like, yeah, it's it's kind of that thing of, like, also, like, in Blue Team, Linda's got, like, a British accent and everything, and so, like, you're like, oh, she's the British one! So you kind of get that sense of, like, if you build characters... uh, not build characters hang on but there's something else i want to say in there i've kind of noticed that in podcasts as well like audio dramas um one of the ones i love wolf 359 all of the characters have very distinct voices like very very distinct voices which match their personalities and also help them stand out and help you build them as a solid character that exists whereas other podcasts i listen to have very similar sounding characters which gets very confusing but also doesn't just that make them really distinct as characters because they just blend in with everyone else. And I think games are similar, even with the player character. If the player character has quite a strong, strongly acted, distinct voice, then they will stand out in your mind as quite a strong, distinct character. Whereas if they kind of just got like an average NPC voice, kind of just an average person voice, they're just like an average person. They just sound like that, and that's kind of how they will come across a lot yeah. of the time.
1: Well, there's that sort of... <laughs> I think you could either read this as cynical or very freeing, which is like, if it's good, it's good, right? <laughs> yeah. There's, a, a good actor can elevate a mediocre script or vice versa. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, pretty much, which, yeah, is something that I think a lot of people miss uh, when there was the whole sag after thing happening with voice actors going on strike because they wanted more, like better stuff within the games industry, because the games industry treated them awfully. Everyone was like, oh, we don't need voice actors. Voice actors don't do anything for a game. But if you actually look at it and look at how much like Jennifer Hale has brought Commander Shepard to life, it's like, actually voice actors do a lot for games, especially in AAA. Um, without them, in, like, in games that are voiced and that use voice actors, they do a lot. They bring those characters to life and they build a lot into that game, even though they aren't building the game themselves. They hold it together a lot of the time. And I think when it comes to, yeah, when it comes to customization and that kind of stuff, like considering whether or not you've got voice actors or like who the voice actors are and like whether or not you can pick voices is also a really important consideration because that can affect a lot of how people interpret a character.
1: Yeah. All right. So that's, uh, those are like, that's about everything I wanted to (laughs) cover. Um, thanks for coming to my Ted talk (laughs) and like, (laughs) is there uh anything else you want to add about that or uh, i think we're good to I go i love
0: commander shepard so much
1: <laughs> yes
0: <laughs> yep that's that's us for this fortnight month whatever we are doing anymore that's us for this episode we'll be back soon with more stuff about more things that are nerdy and fun because that's who we are <laughs> <laughs> more stuff about more things definitely halo 100 yeah, <laughs> there will be more halo next time we talk <laughs> so megan where can people find you online
1: i was gonna make some quip about you can find me in the western reaches <laughs> and then like no I'm, I'm gonna do the actual gonna do the real thing um <laughs> so i write for star wars insider star Wars.com, and den of geek and my hub is at uh blog full of words on twitter or blog full of words where can people find your twine game Oh, people can find my Twine game on Philomena. Um, and it's actually uh, linked on Blogspot. So if you go to my Blogspot, you can find it. Or I believe uh, you put me on the spot, so I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh, oh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all right. I I want to find
0: it. Uh, law slash blog full of words. There you go. Go play the game because it's, it's quite cool. And I really want to know more about the world that that's set in (laughs) Um, you can find me (laughs) me too (laughs) I love that (laughs) you can find me on twitter at Wanderlustin you can also find me at my site notselfwork.com which is where my own podcast network is also hosted Um, I'm around I do things, most of it's on twitter I do games sometimes, none of them are out so don't worry about playing them (laughs) You can find Western Reaches the podcast itself on Twitter at Weston underscore reaches. And you can find us on iTunes and whatever else podcast app you listen on. And you should rate us and give us a nice review because we will love you for it. And so for now, goodbye. And don't forget to check the Western Reaches. <laughs>
1: Covenant movement.